I hope you're enjoying the Christmas on Main Street. If you are a first-time guest with us this morning, my name is Todd Anderson, and I am uh, the new lead pastor here at Compass Church. And just like you, thank you, and just like you, this is my very first Christmas on Main Street. So I'm enjoying it just as much as you are. So what a wonderful opportunity to uh, get introduced to our church and an opportunity for us to get to know you as well. You know, one of the things that's important to us in putting on a, a production like this is to make sure that everything goes smoothly, uh, especially for the kids, which by the way, didn't they do a great job a little bit earlier? <laughs> Wonderful job with the kids. And we always want to make sure we stay on track with the message, right? Stay true to the story. And it reminds me of a a story I heard uh, earlier about a grade school class that wanted to put on the Christmas play. And they wanted to make sure they showed the story of Mary and Joseph and checking in at the inn, at the innkeeper and all of that. And the kids got really excited about it. And there was this one particular boy who really wanted to play the role of Joseph in the uh, musical. And he was so excited about it, but unfortunately, when the teacher decided to assign the roles, uh, she gave him the role of the innkeeper, and he wasn't too happy about that. But what made matters worse is she assigned the role of Joseph to his arch rival in class. So he was really bitter about this. He didn't like it at all. And all throughout all the practices, he kept trying to figure out a way he could get back his arch rival on the night of the production. And so finally, the night of the production shows up, and he has his plan. Mary and Joseph walk across the stage, and they show up at the inn, and they knock on the door, and the innkeeper opens the door with a gruff look on his face and says, what do you guys want? And Joseph tells his line, we're looking for a room for the night. And then the innkeeper all of a sudden surprises Joseph and everybody in the audience, and he opens the door completely wide open and says, that's great. Come on in. You can have the best room in the house. (laughs) Poor little Joseph. He didn't know what to do. He wasn't expecting that. His eyes were as big as saucers. It was quiet for a moment, and then finally he figured out what to do. He walked inside of that little makeshift inn. He looked to the left, and then he looked to the right, and he walked back out, and he stood next to Mary, and he said, no wife of mine is going to stay in a dump like that. Come on, Mary, let's go to the barn. (laughs) And they got the play back on course. Well, to make sure that we stay on course with the original Christmas story, I want to read for you the original story as it was written down for us in the Bible so many years ago. And it starts in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, up on the screen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, a few moments ago, we heard a beautiful song about peace. It was just magnificent. And wouldn't it be great to have peace in the world? Wouldn't that be great? But not only peace in the world, how about having peace in our homes? And peace in our hearts. Wouldn't that be great too? 
And what's interesting to me about this desire to have peace, the desire to experience peace, it's been a desire of humanity since the very beginning. Humans all over history have desired to have peace. Yet it seems like all we seem to uh, experience is war and, and conflict and combat. And not only on the battlefields throughout history, but also in the battlefields of our home and the battlefields of our personal life. Yet it doesn't have to be this way. Did you know that? It doesn't. God promised us that he would give us a plan to create peace. And this plan is rooted in his love for us. I like what the writer Michael Hendricks, uh, how he describes this. He tells about a, a story about a dinner party that he went to. And when he came inside of the house during the Christmas season, it was beautifully decorated. And the house had a big tree and an electric train track at the base of it going around for the old school train. And when he arrived, a little girl happened to be running that electric train and she kept it going a little bit faster and faster and eventually the train went too fast and it fell off the track. He watched the little girl walk over to the train and she picked up those little trains and she tried to put them back on track looking down from above. And finally, the owner of the home showed up and he said, well, hang on a second. We can't fix it like that. What we have to do is we have to get down next to it. And we got to be beside the track. And as we look with the train and the wheels, we can then see how to put it back on track. Hendricks observed that and he writes this. What a wonderful way to think about the incarnation, Christmas. The human race had derailed and it needed to be put back on the track of life. And it couldn't be done from above. God had to come down beside us in order to put us back on track. That's what God did in Jesus Christ. God came and he lived. He lived among us in the person of Jesus to show us his love and to put us back on the track of life. It's powerful, isn't it? It's a great way to summarize it. And when I think about the Christmas story, I tell you what amazes me most. One of the most amazing things is the way in which God decided to show up. He showed up in a very unexpected way. If you know history, during the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire ruled much of the known world. Rome was the power center of everything. There was a famous uh, statement you've heard, and it was uh, shared back then, all roads lead to Rome. If I was God, I would have showed up at Rome. How about you? That's not what God did. He showed up in a very unexpected, insignificant place, a little town called Bethlehem. Think about Mary. Mary was virtually unknown in history until that time. They came, her and Joseph, from a town called Nazareth, which was a kind of a backwoods town. History tells us that all the people in the town surrounding it, they would insult people if they found out they came from Nazareth. It wasn't a very good town. The town of Bethlehem wasn't much different. It was very small. And how about to put the finishing touch on the birth of Christ? God put him in a stable. A stable? That's not a place for people. That's a place for animals. It's definitely not a place for the Son of God. But yet that's how God decided to show up and the place in which he decided to give us the rescue story. So what does that tell us about God? What does that teach us about how God decides to interact with his people? I think that's a very good question. And I think what it shows us is that God works in our life in unexpected ways, especially at Christmas. 
He works in our life in seen ways, ways we can clearly see, but he also works in our life in unseen ways. You know, I wonder during the time of Jesus when he was born, how many people in the town of Bethlehem walked right on by that manger, completely able to be seen, Jesus, but yet they walked on by and he was unseen to them. In our day, I wonder how many people in our country will be able to see the Christmas story all around them, but Jesus will remain unseen. I wonder how many people in our city, how many people in this auditorium, you can see him, but he remains unseen. I like what Helen Keller said about this. Many of you know who she is. She was blind and unable to hear and yet accomplished great things in her generation. She once famously communicated this. The only real blind person at Christmas is the one who doesn't have Christmas in his heart. Wow. You see, friend, I think we best understand Christmas when we remember to keep Jesus in the manger, in the center of it all, in the center of the story. But not just a manger in a stable from 2,000 years ago. I think we best remember Christmas when we keep Jesus in the manger of our heart, in the center of it all. So my encouragement to you, my encouragement to me is don't turn off the light on Jesus this Christmas. Don't switch off the light on him because if you do, you're going to miss his love for you. Did you know God loves you? He does. That's my message to every person from the youngest to the oldest, myself and to everybody in this auditorium here today and anybody watching online. God loves you. He does. And the longer I live, I'm actually convinced that he loves us more than we'll ever know, that we can fathom. How do I know all of this? Well, the most famous Bible verse in all of the world, John 3.16, tells us. It's up on the screen. You probably know this verse. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Have you believed in Jesus? Do you believe in him? Now, when I say believe in Jesus, I don't mean believe in him like you believe the 49ers are going to make the playoffs this year. And if you're a Raider fan, you know the Raiders are not going to make the playoffs this year. (laughs) But don't feel bad because I'm a Bears fan and we're definitely not making the playoffs this year or next year or it's a mess. When we say believe in Jesus, what we mean by that is put your whole faith and trust in him for your salvation and forgiveness of sin. That's what we mean. But let me share with you a closing quick story and then we'll get back to Christmas on Main Street. There was a group of children who understood this and they were going to put on a Christmas play and they wanted to make sure that the light shined bright upon Jesus. And so they created this special rigged light bulb that it would stay on And at the proper moment, at the end of the the play, when the crescendo hit, their lights were going to go off, but the one light would stay on Jesus. Well, because it's a kid's musical, you know, sometimes these things don't go exactly as planned. And when the lights came off, the young boy running the lights turned all the lights off. That was it. It was dark. It was, nobody knew what to do. There was nervousness in the crowd and the kids till finally one of the shepherds finally said, hey, I think you turned off the light on Jesus. Friend, let's not turn off the light on Jesus this Christmas. Let's keep our light shining bright upon him. Will you do that with me? 
That was wonderful. Thank you for that. Hey, how about we give a big a hand of appreciation for John Wineglass and his band of merry men? Yes. <laughs> thank you all. And, and merry ladies as well. Yes, thank you. And how about a big a round of appreciation for Mr. Ryan Hunsey up in the booth up there. He's our director of this whole show. Thank you, Ryan. What a great opportunity. You know, in part one of our short uh, Christian, uh, Christmas reflection, we just looked at how God's love is promised to us through Jesus. What I want to do next, though, is ask a question. How do we keep the message of Christmas throughout the year? Have you ever noticed that sometimes you get around Christmas and you get all excited and fired up, but then sometime a week after or two weeks after or maybe a month or two, people start getting grumpy again? Have you ever noticed that? How do we keep the message of Christmas in our heart throughout the year? You know, I saw a cartoon once and it was kind of interesting because uh, it had a a dried, withered Christmas tree and all the needles had fallen off. Uh, In the corner, there was a calendar on the wall that said December 26th. And the dad was sitting on the chair, he had an ice pack on his head. Uh, The wife was in her bathrobe with her curlers and rollers in her hair. Uh, The little boy, he had his hand uh, elbow deep in a stocking, trying to make sure every last piece of candy uh, was there. There was wrapping paper and bows and ribbons all over the floor. And the kitchen table even had a half-eaten turkey on it, right, with cups and plates and everything all over the place. And there's just a single caption on it. It simply said, the morning after. (laughs) That was it. Isn't that Christmas? It comes fast and then it goes. It does. But if we're not careful, we miss what Christmas is all about. You know, Christmas has become so complicated that a lot of people uh, actually have opted to use artificial trees instead of live trees. In fact, let's take a quick poll. How many of you use artificial tree? Let me see your hand this year. There you go. And then how many of you have a live Christmas tree? All right, there you go. And how many of you are a Grinch? You have no Christmas tree. Okay, there's none here today. Okay, oh, one in the back, I see. Okay. When I was a kid, we used to always have a live Christmas tree. We always did. I, I use artificial now. But, uh, we used to, and, but I remember when I was a kid growing up, you know, my grandma would say, put an aspirin in the water, it'll last longer. And my other grandma would say, no, 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 you put sugar in the water and it'll last longer. And then I watched the two grandmas argue about which methodology is the best. But at the end of the day, the Christmas tree would wither and it would die, wouldn't it? And you would, they would no longer be there. And I think that's a little bit like us. It withers. Now, why is that? Well, we know for a tree, it's because we cut it off from its roots, right? But maybe that's our problem. Maybe we cut off the Christmas story from our life in the months of January and February. Maybe our celebration of Christmas isn't deeply rooted enough. Maybe that's our problem. Well, let's take a look back at the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. We're going to look real quickly at verses 8 to 14 to see if we can't find a clue of how we can keep Christmas in our heart all year long. According to the Bible, after Jesus was born, something else was happening right by him. Let's take a look in verse 8 up on the screen. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. 
So here we see the angel appearing to the shepherds. And I think, I think what it's teaching us is that God's love is also revealed to us at Christmas in a special way. And so we put these two passages together. What we're learning is that we can find peace through Jesus as the message of Christmas is revealed to us. But the way to keep Christmas in our hearts all year long is to make sure that we respond to the Christmas message the same way these shepherds responded. Well, how did they respond? I don't have the time to go into it this morning, but if you read this continual biblical narrative, you'll find out in verse 15 and 20 how these shepherds responded. In fact, we're going to study that next Sunday as you come back to church. We're going to study the promise of God's presence with us throughout the year, not just at Christmas, all throughout the year. But real quickly, here were the three things they did. One, they recognized that God revealed the good news of Jesus. Number two, they immediately went to see and worship Jesus. And number three, they continued to tell everyone what they experienced. So they heard, they saw, and then they told. That's it. That's what they did. And that's what we're to do. That's the biblical encouragement to us today. But I have a question. It's not always easy to do that. Why? Because sometimes in life we just get stuck. We get stuck. Some of you here today are stuck and we need help. You know, when I was a young boy, I, I learned a valuable lesson about what it means to call for help when you get stuck. You see, one time when I was 10 years old, my dad had bought our family a big, beautiful family fun van. My dad wanted to take the family on a big vacation. And you got to know something about my dad. He was a lot like Clark Griswold in the movie. We had the biggest Christmas tree. We had more lights than anybody. So when he went out and bought a van, he went out and bought the van. This thing had uh, four captain seats in it on a swivel. It had a, a fold-out sofa in the back. It had wall-to-wall -wall carpet. This was the 70s, okay? <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, why would we do that, wall-to-wall -wall carpet? Who came up with that idea? It was just weird. But we had it. It had little lights you could up talk an airplane you could, so you could read. And it, just, and it even had a refrigerator and a little sink. It was so cool. Well, we were excited. It was Christmas time in Chicago where I grew up, and we were about ready to head out in the morning for a vacation to Florida, and everybody was super excited. And we decided to bring the little refrigerator in the house so we could get it ready to go, plug it in, cool it off, get the ice maker going, put some little ice trays on it, put the sodas and the drinks in there, so we're ready. Here's what happened. My older brother, he decided to issue a challenge. He said, I bet you that you can't stick your tongue on that ice maker and pull it off without getting stuck. I thought to myself for a minute, I said, I'm no fool. You're crazy. Everybody knows that if you put your tongue on something frozen, a frozen piece of metal, it's going to get stuck. We knew that back in the 70s, even before uh, the Christmas story and, and Ralphie and the buddies, right? We didn't need the movie. So I said, no way. Case over, right? No story. Well, let me tell you what happened. The family decided to watch a movie, so we all went into the family room. And about 20 minutes into the movie, my 10-year-old brain, the curiosity, got the best of me. And I wanted to prove my brother wrong. So I got up, secretly went into the kitchen. I opened that lid to that refrigerator. I removed those little ice trays and the little sodas and drinks. And I knelt down, and I stuck my tongue out, and as fast as I could... I reached over and I touched my tongue on that frozen ice maker and I pulled that off as quick as I could. There was only one problem. I got stuck. <laughs> Don't put your tongue on anything frozen, metal. I'll tell you, you get stuck. 
Now I was in trouble because I didn't know what to do. I felt like a fool. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I lost the challenge with my brother. And I tried to get out of this mess all on my own. But the more I pulled, the more it hurt. I tried to reach for the cord to unplug it, but it was too far away. So finally, in desperation, I started to yell for help. There's only a pro- one problem, though, when you yell for help, when your tongue is sticking out of your mouth. It doesn't sound like help. It sounds more like, yelp, yelp. My dad thought I was goofing around. Todd, knock it off. We're trying to watch a movie in here. But ah, my brother, he knew what was going on. He figured it out. He quickly ran into the kitchen and he started laughing. Now I don't hold it against him. I probably would have done the same thing if the roles were reversed, right? It was kind of funny. But then, of course, my sister comes in and my other older brother comes in. My mom, my dad, the two dogs. Everybody's laughing, including the dogs. They were laughing at me. It was so embarrassing. I didn't know what to do. But what do you do when you're stuck? Hmm? Surely in a room this size, somebody's stuck today. You're in a mess. You don't know how to get out. You're hurting. You're embarrassed. You're ashamed. You did something you wish you wouldn't have done, and here you are. Well, I learned a lesson. You cry out for help. That's what you do. My dad, he finally figured it out. He went over to the sink, and he got a little cup of warm water, and he walked over and just poured the warm water on my tongue and on the metal ice maker, and instantly I was free. My dad freed me. Isn't that cool? Now, that experience is long over, but it did teach me a valuable lesson, and that is to recognize when you're stuck, and don't be too proud to ask for help from your father when you are. You see, I share that story with you because I think it's a good descriptor of all of our condition here today. All of us, in a way, in a sense, are stuck. You may not be stuck to a metal ice maker, I get it. But spiritually, according to the Bible, we're all stuck. Romans 3.23 tells us this, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. What does that mean? It just simply means there's not one person in this room, including me, that lives a perfect life, right? We've all done something wrong. We all know it. We've all fallen short. We get it. I told that to somebody once, and they said, well, what's the big deal? We're all in the same boat, so we've all fallen short. Oh, well. I said, well, it is a big deal because a few chapters later, the Bible teaches us that because of that falling short, the wages for that is death. You know what wages are. It's what you get paid for what you did, right? The work you've done. Spiritually, because we fall short, we end up being separated from God. That's what that means. Physically, we know, and also spiritually separated from God. But because of God's love for us, he didn't want to leave us in that place. So he came up with a rescue plan. He came up with a plan to save us. That's why he sent his son on Christmas. Christmas is part one of God's rescue plan. Part two happens at Easter with the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, just like my earthly father came up with a plan to save me from my mess, Your heavenly father has come up with a plan to save you from your spiritual mess. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's God's rescue to save stuck people. But here's the catch. You got to call out for help to receive help from your father. Have you called out to God and asked him to forgive you? Have you called out to God and asked him to rescue you? If you haven't, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that in just one moment. 
Because when you call out to God, the Bible says that he then gives you and I eternal life. Look at the second half of this verse in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But the good news is through God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that awesome? That's why the gospel is called the good news. Have you received his offer of forgiveness? Have you allowed God to help you get unstuck? Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can take just a few minutes in the middle of this beautiful production. But Lord, we know the reason for these productions and the reason for Christmas is so that you can get a hold of our attention, get a hold of our hearts and to speak to us in, I guess we could say, unexpected ways. And today, Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is tugging upon hearts, the individuals here in this room, maybe some who haven't ever called out for help from you. And Lord, today, right where they sit, I just pray that you let them know that you are here and yet you are ready to rescue them as they call out for help. In fact, if you're here this morning, you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never cried out to God to help you. Today, why don't you just pray this prayer right where you sit in the quietness of this moment. Just pray, dear Jesus, I recognize that you came to this earth to rescue me. And I confess that I need you. Please forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the things I've done that are wrong. I need you in my life. I invite you to be my Savior, but also my Lord. I want to follow you. I want to be a Christian. And help me, Lord, from this day forward to live for you. In your name I pray. And Father, wherever that prayer was prayed in this room or anybody watching online, I pray right now that you send the presence of the Holy Spirit into their heart and they would know now they have been born again and they are now in the family of God. And we thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer to have God help you, uh, we want to help you as a church. Well, one of the things that I'm discovering is that we have the opportunity to uh, give a Bible to those who pray to receive Christ. So if you prayed that prayer to receive the Lord and you don't have a Bible, right out this direction here, there's an area called Next Steps. So you guys in the balcony, it's this direction. You guys on the main floor, right out these doors. We have some wonderful volunteers out there for you. Let them know you prayed to receive Christ and they'll get you a Bible, tell you about the church, how you can get plugged in. And I've got to tell you, folks, we're here to help people get connected with God. That's why we're here. So if you let us, we're going to help you, help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So we're excited for you. So we're going to change gears just a little bit. I'm going to ask the ushers to uh, come forward at this time. Normally, this is our Sunday morning service, and this is the time when we usually receive our uh, tithes and offerings. And so for the regular attenders and members of Compass Church, uh, this is the time that we do that. Uh, if you're a guest with us today uh, and you love what you saw here in the production and you want to participate in the offering, feel free to do that. However, we also want you to know, please don't feel obligated. Uh, just let this service be our gift to you. We're just so happy you're here today, okay? And, and one last thing, just for housekeeping for us uh, at Compass, those of us who are regular members and attenders, uh, next Sunday will be that special uh, year-end that we do, a birthday gift to Jesus. And so, again, that's one time above and beyond your regular giving. 
uh, just to give a special gift to the Lord for the ministries here at Compass Church. Uh, there are envelopes if you want to take one of those home with you, uh, but we'll be receiving that offering next Sunday as well, okay? So again, just a couple of housekeeping items there for you. But let me pray for the offering and we'll continue with our uh, production. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, Christmas. We thank you for the chance that we can recognize what you've given to us. And Lord, there is no way that we could ever give back to you even a, a tiny bit of what you've given to us. But Lord, you do give us resources and we take these resources now, we combine them together, we give them back to you to honor you. Take these gifts, Lord, small, large, whatever they are. You know the heart, bless the gift and the giver and help us, Lord, to reach more people for you. In your name I pray, amen.